You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. We're in season seven, water cooler conversations, where we're telling it like it is on a variety of company culture topics. On today's podcast, I have joining me Kelly Jackson, Chief People Officer at Luno. With over 13 years experience within the people space across a number of industries, including technology and financial services, Kelly is currently Chief People Officer at Luno, a leading cryptocurrency business whose mission is to upgrade the world to a better financial system by making it easy for consumers to buy, save and manage their crypto in one place. A very futuristic business indeed. Prior to this, Kelly was Chief People Officer at World First, where she helped to scale the fast growth fintech business, building a people first culture before its acquisition by Ant Financial in 2019. As a psychology graduate from the University College London, Kelly has always had a curiosity for what drives behaviour and how this applies in our workplaces. Kelly is driven by creating environments in which people can feel a true sense of belonging and therefore thrive and is passionate about making the world of work better, which is no surprise why we get along so well. Kelly and I have had some brilliant conversations over the past year as we got to know each other and the work we both are doing in the culture space. And as always, it's been virtual, but I cannot wait to have a real life glass of wine with Kelly. But here's our conversation today, all about HR for PR's sake, lipstick on a pig, culture washing, making out your culture is better than it really is, and the PR stunts that we keep seeing around some of the biggest topics in company culture, and of course, some of the epic fails we've seen from businesses over the past year. So let's get started. So today, our water cooler conversation is all around lipstick on a pig, the whole HR for PR's sake that has been getting my back up (laughs) for the past few months, (laughs) or should I say years, because let's be honest, it's not really something new, is it? It's been going on for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute pleasure to be here, Lizzie. Really looking forward to our water cooler chat. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on all the controversy that we have sort of seen over the past kind of few months? Because there's been a heightened amount of it since the start of 2021. And like I said earlier, it's not something that, you know, is new. But I think because some of the brands that are coming out, you know, the huge brands that we've seen, like Brewdog, Netflix currently, um, while we're recording this, have recently got a lot of bad PR for some of the things they're doing in their culture. Basecamp a few months ago, there seems to be some of these big brands who have for so long promoted their really good company culture. And now there's kind of a few cracks appearing and it's all kind of unraveling slightly. I mean, it just goes to show that you never know what goes on behind the scenes, right? It's a bit like a relationship where everyone's like, let's just present a united front to the outside world and then behind the scenes something's going on. (laughs) Um, I do wonder how much COVID is exacerbating these tensions, right? Because Mm. all of a sudden you've not only got your kind of work life that you're dealing with, but you've got all of the stresses that COVID has thrown at people. And so, I don't know, maybe some of the stuff that you could have accepted or or not even noticed in your normal kind of company culture, all of a sudden just becomes magnified. And I guess if you feel that your particular company is no longer living up to like when the shit hits the fan are they actually living up to what they say they are and represent 
and you couldn't get a bigger crisis of like how to lead your people than through an 18 month pandemic yeah it's so true it's not even like an easy situation to go through like it's an absolute chaos anarchy and like you say like living up to things they you know so much promote on their values about what they're about and I read this really good quote about, you know, it's not until you hit a crisis where you really actually live up to your values and and whether companies are leaning back on those enough or whether they're kind of, you know, again, it's kind of nice to have a nice to have, not really something that they're they're practicing in its essence. And I also wonder whether you it's easy to get carried away with your own positive press, right? And so if you're doing things at whatever stage that are resonating with your employees and it's, you know, really like you're on a roll in a like positive direction, complacency slips in. Mm. And I think one of the, like the biggest values that companies and leaders need to have is humility because your company will not have ever gone through every single moment it's going to in its entire life you know you companies are constantly evolving every time you bring in somebody new into your business and these companies are scaling businesses right so they're bringing in lots and lots of new employees all the time teams are changing culture shifting like if you just only buy into the positive press and start believing like your company ego identity and you're not staying humble, mm. like it's a dangerous position to be in because, like you say, it only takes a small group of employees to become a little bit more vocal. There's loads of platforms out there where they can just kind of launch into whatever it is they want to say. And whether what they're saying is right or not almost becomes immaterial because mm. it's just people believe that if it's out there, then there's got to be some truth in it even if that's not the actual reality. Yeah, and it's those experiences, isn't it, as well? It's those employees' experiences. It's how they're perceiving something. So even if you are trying to create this very kind of positive, really inclusive kind of culture that you're putting everywhere, and I mean everywhere, like I see businesses talking about it, not just on social media now, you know, thanks to social media, we can amplify these positive messages so much. But I literally see them turning them into actual PR and marketing campaigns. And it's kind of like, I don't know whether that to me is kind of crossing over a line of believing that you're perfect when you're not. And this idea of because I know even last year when the whole kind of Black Lives Matter thing kicked off you know Nike were huge at the forefront of treating that as a PR campaign but then there was loads of things that came out um, and I think it was some of their kind of exec board that said actually we've got some work to do ourselves and we shouldn't be using this as a PR campaign because internally we've still got work to do. And I think that that Black Lives the, or the Black Lives Matter movement sorry was just such a great example of just lack just complete lack of understanding Mm. and complete misreading of the mood of nations right because all of a sudden whether it's companies or individuals you know they're filling their social media feeds with blacked out squares very few probably understood the purpose of the blackout square um they put like you say PR statements or they used it to kind of their own commercial gain mm. and then 12 months later what's changed yeah you know, these these same companies how much progress have they made on doing things internally that would actually really make a difference um and I think it's you know certainly leading a business it's a really tricky position to be in to stand publicly I mean there's a difference between standing publicly in solidarity Mm. saying we are here in support and you know I love Brené Brown because I think she has a quote which is I'm not here to be right I'm here to do right yeah and I think that's phenomenal because so often you can get in the position of like we are right (laughs) as a as an individual or as a business 
we are right. And actually, no, we're not. Because if we were, and you looked at our boards, you would see complete representation. Mm. And you don't. And I remember for Black Lives Matter, someone had started a like an open source Google Sheet with all of the companies that put their PR statements out and then a link to their board page and basically just slammed the vast majority of these companies because they're like, look at their board structure. Oh, they're all predominantly white or they're all predominantly men or, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's just very inauthentic, Mm -hmm. I think. But do you feel as, consumers like nike is obviously a consumer brand right do you think consumers care oh yeah i think they're 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 growing in their caring i think i mean even myself as a consumer so i generally take on quite a minimalist kind of lifestyle anyway so i adore the minimalist minimalists like i love their netflix series and so I'm as an individual, I'm always very intentional about what I purchase and why I purchase something. Where is that going to and what is that supporting? And it's really hard. Like, I'm really anti Amazon. (laughs) And it's really hard because you're encouraged so much because of that instant gratification of I can have this here with me within literally hours, I can have it in my hands and I can use it. And it's really, really hard. And so I think it's difficult because that you're constantly getting these brands who are satisfying an instant need mm. and kind of almost re-educating yourself away from almost that addiction of that instant gratification is really hard. And I know recently I kind of spoke out on LinkedIn about the Lush and ASOS collaboration. Yeah. And I really struggled with that personally because I've always been a huge supporter of Lush. I love their products. Um, we've used a lot of their their products. Um, my partner has really bad psoriasis, so a lot of their like their products have been really good for that. Um, and I was really disappointed that they collaborated with ASOS because they're a fast fashion brand to begin with. Like I don't believe in their ethical standpoint. They can try and say that they're doing all of these good things, but they're still producing fast fashion. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing, you know, was the fact that like they're their ethics don't match up. So Lush are promoting one thing, ASOS are promoting another thing, and now they're partnering up. To me, that's just a commercial partnership. That's not that's not an ethical partnership. And when you also look at their company culture, and I did a bit of a, a an investigation, and you know, most of the reviews and ratings of the ASOS company culture are dire. They get well below three in most ratings for employee experience compared to Lush, who while it's really annoying to get pretty much attacked every time you go in the shop, at least, you know, they actually genuinely care about their products and like, you know, they're they're really passionate about it. So you can tell that the teams, like even their retail teams, which retail is struggling right now, you know, they're struggling to adapt to it. But Lush have always had this really passionate team of people who can, you know, you can say, oh, I've got this or I've got that. And they'll try and help you find a product or try something in the store. Like, they're with you on the journey of purchasing something and I feel like it was such a clash of cultures and ethics that as a consumer now I'm like do I want to buy from Lush because now they're supporting ASOS which I'm slightly against so I'm kind of like it's really hard and part of me would almost rather go to a brand who aren't trying to preach to me about what they're doing than buy into something that feels like a falsity like a false economy yeah and I think it goes back to that authentic point doesn't it because for a long time it sounds like Lush was incredibly authentic for you as a Mm. consumer what they said they did matched the experience that you got in store and it was that's the brand and it's almost a a complete holistic kind of experience that you get and then yeah as soon as you start building in partnerships I mean, I think that's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because like we talk about values as the foundation of a culture and if values drive decision making and you're (laughs) partnering with a company who perhaps on the surface at least don't share those values, 
can you then, in, you know, as lush in this example, be standing up and going, well, actually, we do truly live our values in every single element, or are those values, they apply to the employee experience, mm. they employ, you know, they apply to the candidate experience, perhaps, but when it stretches into the commercial decision making element, they're a little bit more flexible. <laughs> It's so true. And I think it's that same thing over and over again is, you know, I don't think enough businesses still take their company culture seriously as a driver, as a as even as a commercial driver. I still don't think they take it seriously enough because that's a perfect example of profit over purpose. You know, there I actually outreached to Lush about it and I emailed them and I got back their PR team and they just sent me this blanket statement that they were clearly sending everyone. And I read it and I was like, that is so much BS. I was just reading it. You know, they were like, we really want to increase our online presence to reach more people for the Lush experience, you know. And I'm thinking there are so many other ways you could have done that. There are so like, yes, ASOS have a huge dominating online platform they've built an incredible you know consumer base but that doesn't mean you have to piggyback off them you could have piggybacked off so many other brands or collaborated so differently you could have got so creative about it but you at the end of the day you you chose profit over purpose like that's 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 the clear decision yeah and again I wonder whether that decision would have been made had the retail sector not been struggling so much for the last 18 months. Like, again, I wonder yeah. how much context is applied to, yeah, these decisions. Um, and I think going back to your, like, base camp examples or Netflix, it's like companies present what they want people to see. Yeah. Then the kind of employee letters that get leaked or the kind of internal disgruntlement that gets leaked also reflects what somebody wants you to see, right? Mm. And then what plays out is this kind of conversation that should really stay internally that's just then exposed <laughs> to be isn't it I mean it's fascinating I think it's one of these things as well because people will say to me you know oh what's what's a really big sign when you think a company culture is toxic and one one really clear indicator for me when you can't go into somewhere and, and kind of feel the atmosphere is palpable you know <laughs> because you can walk into somewhere and you can pick up on conversations or attitudes and behaviors and think oof that like that rubs but I think it's customer service and when customer service, like when you're getting really bad customer service reviews, you can't not expect to have a toxic culture that doesn't in some way start to permeate out. And it's almost like, you know, when you're on the phone, I mean, we all have it when we're on the phone to banks or whatever, and you've got a really arsy person on the phone and you're just like, this person is really unhappy in their job. Like they are not happy. And that to me speaks volumes. And I know a lot of other kind of, you know, workplace consultants say this, that actually it's the experience as a customer that you often get that's almost like a taste of how the culture is and what's being almost like pushed down from the top that yeah. is starting to to come out because you get language or behavior that you wouldn't get if actually the, the culture was really strong and people were genuinely passionate about where they worked. Yeah, and I think with customer service, there are companies that get it spot on, right? So it doesn't have to be a baseline of if you work in customer service, you are going to hate your job <laughs> because there are plenty of companies where that isn't true. And yeah. I think the the close connection between employee love and customer love is just like intertwined and I do think if employees love where they work and not necessarily like love their job and they're going to think that they're going to be in that forever um but love you know love the vibe love the place where they work love their colleagues that does translate into the customer experience and then what you ultimately want is customers that are then advocates for your brand right you want 
for you want free marketing because you've given such an awesome experience that customers are going to go and tell all their mates about it yeah yeah exactly it is it's simple things like that you and I think that's the power of it isn't it when you're really authentic in what you're doing and you really believe in what you're doing then it it does have that kind of effect where it ripples out and and it gets picked up I mean I remember the early days of Monzo or Mondo, as it was called originally, if you were kind of like the beta tester. Like I remember being a beta tester and I had my little like orange Mondo card and then they had to change their name to Monzo. But I was so excited that they were changing banking, all the frustrating things that you hated about banking and all of that. And it was kind of like, then they changed it and it was, you know, and I was, you know, telling everybody about it and that's what happens when you become like a brand ambassador and then you start to hear of all the amazing things they do also for their people and all of that you you just become like a really big fan of the company even though you don't work there and it's and I think that has so much more power in it than this kind of really inauthentic PR and social media stuff that you see going on it's like well do the very customers who actually buy into your product or your brand or your service, do they shout about you? Because that's when you know you've got it right. Yeah. And I think the Monzo example is a great one of building community, right? So it, Monzo's always felt, and I know they're having like yeah. their own kind of challenges and stuff, but um, it always had felt like they were on the side of the customer. Yeah side of their employees like they were building this community where the boundaries between employees and customers were pretty blurred yeah so like like you could be their customer but then look on their website and see how they wrote about their approach to diversity and inclusion um and I remember when gender pay gap reporting came in you know and the first time I had to write the gender pay gap report for my previous company like who does this really well monzo right because it was it felt super authentic and it felt very transparent mm. and it's like they're going to give you a window into what's going on for them um again was that 100% transparent maybe i mean who knows we don't know mm. yeah. um but i wonder whether there is a point at which that level of transparency is is considered naive and actually as a company gets to a certain scale it's like is that sensible for us as a company anymore and I don't know mm. that I have the answer to that but I yeah. wonder whether this like tech startup scene you know it's usually about disruption challenging the status quo it's like I am an advocate for the consumer and I am going to fight the status quo on behalf of them. Mm. And you let your kind of, like you say, you're building this community, but does there come a point where it gets a bit serious and that level of openness just isn't appropriate anymore? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's such a good question. And it's one, like you say, it's one that the answer isn't clear because there's so many brands out there who, you know, I remember when I was writing my my ebook about like the ultimate examples of company culture. And I remember I had 15 brands that I really wanted to kind of investigate and research. And even the brands that I'd bought into, I wanted to get a bit deeper into kind of like, you know, what is some of the the kind of the pain points that come up? And like, what are the things that, because, you know, there's only so much we see. And some of them are, have been really transparent from the start. And then some of them are only just starting to be a bit more transparent because they realize that actually consumers really appreciate that. Like they want to know where you're sourcing your cotton from or they want to know this kind of thing. And I think it is a really hard balancing act and something that because the truth is we're never going to please everyone. Like what we do with our company cultures, we're never going to be a perfect fit for everyone. It just doesn't work like that. And there might be things that, a certain company do that you don't agree with but that that's you know maybe that's fit for who they're trying to employ and who their customer base is and maybe you know there's other brands who 
you know, maybe they're a bit too transparent and then it becomes almost commercially dangerous. So it is like there's this almost landscape of the unknown of, you know, no one's really, I suppose the only brand that comes into my mind and I'm constantly going on about them. And again, they're by no means perfect, but they're ones I always look up to is Patagonia. Like I love reading about the things they're doing. And like I said, they're by no means perfect because they still have some very outdated ways of working, but they are so passionate about their purpose and their values and the things that they do that they're constantly kind of challenging and like being very outspoken and using like I think what I love about them is you know there's so many brands using kind of I suppose social injustice or things for PR their culture for PR but not putting their money where their actual mouth is yeah whereas this that's exactly what Patagonia do they're they use their advertising space for environmental causes. That's exactly what they're paying for. So it's almost like there's this dis- like this disparity between what you do and what you say. And there's kind of that, I suppose there's that messy in between. Yeah. And again, it's that, dis- yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the disconnect, isn't mm. it? It's like consumers and employees are not stupid. Yeah. Like, becomes really obvious when a company is saying one thing and doing either the complete opposite <laughs> or quite far apart from you know what they're putting out on on social media or in their PR statements and yeah it's definitely a sense of I guess trust like do I trust as an employee or as a consumer this company and I think depending on like I think trust is foundational anyway Mm, I think yeah like our relation the strength of our relationships are built on how much trust there is yeah and in some industries that trust is critical like yeah we work in the financial services sector right we're dealing with people's money if there is not trust in that relationship then we might as well not be here because Mm. it's so foundational. But to your point earlier about employees creating customer experience, like if we didn't have that trust internally, like you say, it's just going to ripple widely out. Yeah. And it will affect how we're we're perceived externally as well yeah definitely because I know there was a big like hoo-ha recently with the whole base camp saying oh we shouldn't talk about politics at work and that really divided people and I think that's like a real like standpoint in your culture because only you know if people are equipped enough and are mindful enough to have those conversations, you know, like we always say, never talk about politics at the dinner table anyway. Like it's one of those things that, you know, like if you were brought up in a family where it's like, don't, don't swear at the dinner table, don't talk politics, don't talk football. Like if it's going to break it out into an argument, don't do these things at the dinner table. Um, I was very much brought up in a household like that. So And it's one of those things where it is, it's like, okay, there are certain things we need to have conversations about within our company cultures. But in regards to politics, especially when things are, you know, we're very polarized at the moment with everything that's been going on over the past few years. And people do do have such extremist views at times. And it can massively impact communication, relationships in the workplace. And if people don't have the the skills to navigate those conversations then you're going to have to put some boundaries around it at the end of the day yeah and this is where from the outside perspective you will never know what goes down mm. in these companies right so you you see kind of the whoever gets it leaked first whether it's like the employee group or or the actual company and then you see the ceo response like in base camp i think you know yeah the founders were were responding and, and having to explain themselves so i think you know given the roles that i've done and, and the level of seniority not every employee is going to be in a position where they understand all of the context behind mm. the decision that a company takes. 
And so I always caveat my opinion of what's going on in other companies with the, we never know, really. <laughs> um, the politics, the, the space for discussing politics at work, though, is a really interesting and, and kind of tricky one to navigate because if you subscribe to the view that you want people to bring their whole self to work or, you know, you're trying to be incredibly inclusive from an intersectionality perspective, how do you separate what's going on for your employee in their in, like most complete version of their life mm. versus like, or just compartmentalize that and don't bring it into the office, you know, between nine and five or eight and six or what have you. And like we at Luno have a large kind of South African employee base and, before I joined a couple of years ago, um, or just at the point of joining, there were lots of um, protests against gender-based violence, which is a huge issue in South Africa. And our employee population felt that there wasn't a space internally to just talk about stuff. Mm. Um, and so like linking it back to what Basecamp was, I think, trying to say, which is where where is the appropriate boundary between allowing people space, safe spaces, mm, yeah, to have conversations about stuff that's impacting them, to recognise that there is a whole world that goes on outside of the tasks or activities that they've got to do in a day, to educate others and to create some level of understanding and empathy, mm. but not get to the point where actually what you're tr what's happening is people are being quite divisive or quite yeah. um, non-inclusive or people feel threatened by the conversations or you know they they like you say they, they lack the the skills and the equipment to have sensible conversations about mm. things which yeah you know we definitely need to be able to equip people because you can't turn around and go don't have this conversation because yeah. you're not to have it right. That's not a, that's not okay. Um, but it's so nuanced, and it really depends on the topic mm. of conversation yeah. um, and how how much how how you can create that space um, in a way that has a positive impact and not is not detrimental mm, yeah i totally agree going back to your point as well about having the ceos having to explain themselves it's incredible we've got to this point even in workplace culture that when something comes out there's still that absolute fear about the re commercial repercussions that you know ceos and, and founders are like oh gosh i've got to explain myself i've got to get online and share about this and that would never have happened 10 years ago. It's just, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> that would have been the attitude. But it's interesting, sort of, we've obviously touched on the fact that some are still choosing profit over values, but then at the same time, they're aware that they still might have to explain themselves. So it's like this strange kind of mindset that they've got, this kind of fear of, well, we can't be perceived in this way, but then we're still kind of doing this. It's kind of like a bit of a, like a, a strange juggling act, I suppose, that still isn't, yeah, I suppose, really understood by many people that are kind of, you know, building these kind of cultures or having these, these areas of kind of, you know, progress. And I think it's a shame sometimes because we, we jump onto it so quickly when we're like, oh, you know, and it's like, well, actually, yes, something's kicked off but they're they're way ahead of so many other organizations shouldn't we kind of be learning from it and being curious rather than this we love to kind of tear people down <laughs> yeah it, right and it's like again it, it totally depends on the situation because yeah. there'll be something that some companies do which yeah. on the face of it are just like not okay <laughs> any stretch of the imagination but the world is mostly gray rather yes. than absolutely black and white <laughs> and I do 
I do worry that the it's a bit like the cancel culture, right? With celebrities. Mm, yeah. Companies are made up of human beings and human beings are not perfect. Yeah. Like we're all completely fallible. We're gonna make mistakes. And when you're running businesses, like I was having this conversation, yes, literally yesterday, and the the point of it was that when you get to senior positions and you're leading companies, sometimes there's a perception that these people are like superhuman and there must be something special because they're the ones running the business. And no, we're not. Like basically, no, we're still human and we still are going to make mistakes. And a lot of times we wouldn't have done this before or we're not, we haven't been in this particular situation before. And I think the tearing down and the speed to attack rather than, like you say, like staying curious and with leadership, staying humble Mm. and vulnerable, like there's the potential that companies actually become really risk averse. And so nine progressive things that they do, that they try, that are really positive, you're going to get at least one that doesn't that just misses the mark completely or a conversation or a memo or whatever it is and I would hate for companies to get to a point where they just don't want to try anything yeah because they feel that somebody or some group isn't going to receive it in exactly the way it's intended because then what you end up with is potentially the complete opposite of Netflix's infamous culture deck which is like oh yeah, we have an expense policy and it's basically a sentence. And you potentially move into a scenario where you're protecting against every possible eventuality. Yeah. And who wants to work for a company like that? Like that's Mm. that's stifling. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely got to be a conversation between both sides, which is staying, like you say, staying curious, staying humble, and not thinking that you're right. Mm. Likelihood is you're at least a little bit wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I think what fascinates me as well is kind of, you know, people a lot thanks to some of these brands have jumped on the culture wagon. So because of some of these brands, you know, they have been disruptors, not only in their field, but also in the way they've approached culture. So they've not just changed an industry or even, or created an entire sector, but they've also completely adapted the way we've seen culture. And it's, it's a real shame that sometimes it's kind of almost, you, you, you know, the fact that businesses look to these kind of, you know, like you say, maybe we look at them, you know, I sometimes joke like the gods of Google, like, oh, what are they doing next? Like everyone's always looking at what they're doing next um, in terms of so much, not just in terms of technology, but in terms of their culture, because they've always been the ones to kind of do the quirky stuff or try and do the unusual stuff. And like you say, it's actually, it's about that progressive mindset in the first place what you know what we did even 10 or 20 years ago in our company cultures would be frowned upon now but who knows what we're doing now that could be frowned upon in the next 10 years you know we just don't know but staying open-minded and progressive should surely be where where it's at instead of this you know kind of like oh we won't bother trying just in case we get called out for something yeah absolutely and what's so wonderful about work culture at the moment or at least the community of people who are building work cultures with their businesses is the willingness to to open up and to share because for so long it's felt incredibly competitive like it's still competitive because we're all looking for engineers like can (laughs) you find engineering teams it's really hard and everyone's So I doubt that there's obviously competition for getting great people in, but the sense that I get and the vibe I get from the people community especially is everybody wants to make the world of work better. And so if a company is doing something amazing, 
there's no shame in going, how could that apply to my company? Like, I don't need to take credit yeah. for the originality of this idea. Like, I'm quite happy to piggyback and apply it in a way that's relevant. Because ultimately, like, if we spend so much of our time at work, if everybody is working to build it into something better than it's been mm. before, that's great for society. Um, and again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this kind of like calling out to take us in a different direction mm. where people are protectionist again. Yeah. Flip side though, I do think companies need to be held to account. Yes. Yeah. I don't think employees should feel worried or afraid to hold senior teams or businesses to account because then it becomes actually quite you know yeah yeah that's not that's not where we want to be (laughs) it's so true and especially when they are very preachy I think that's what gets gets me frustrated the most is when companies are so preachy and you know, I really appreciate, and like you said, you know, there is a lot of the time in the the culture and people sector, you know, really openness about what people are trying to work on or improve. And I love that. I love going onto LinkedIn. I can already think of a few people who are always really open and vulnerable with what they're trying to do and saying, look, we've introduced this, we're going to trial it. We don't know whether it's going to work, but we're going to give it a go. And I love that attitude. I love that kind of ability to play and trial and give something a go um, and just see what happens because we don't know we don't know what's going to happen you know some of the things that are coming through now especially as we try to kind of weave our way out of the situation we've been through we've never been through this situation so we don't know what's going to work as a business or as people um, and you're, you're right it's it's that transparency and openness and the opposite of that is like this very kind of like egotistical almost it's it's like the complete opposite and I think the reason I suppose I'm sometimes very vocal about calling people out is because I don't believe that you should preach one thing and preach it as well you know really drill it down people's throats you know whether it's like oh you know you should really use less plastic but then in the background they're churning out loads of plastic (laughs) it's like there are some things that you're gonna have to just get called out on um So it is, it's this, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that frustrates me is the kind of like the, the constantly using it for their own commercial gain, but never actually doing the work. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between making an honest mistake as fallible humans mm. and deliberately and with intent misleading or misrepresenting stuff, yeah. right? Because they are completely different. And employees would be way more accommodating of an honest mistake because, again, if we want innovative culture, you can't, ex- you know, you can't expect perfection up front. So, yeah, but that deliberate, willful misleading or disconnect, as we talked about earlier, between here's what I say. It's like being a parent, right? It's like I'm... <laughs> you you need to go to bed early because sleep is good for you and then mummy's having a few wines till midnight because she's had a really long day and <laughs> you know it's like that as I say not as I do approach doesn't work in, yeah in business. yeah yeah definitely and I think one of the things that I'm seeing more of and that I I would like to see definitely changes. I mean, on LinkedIn, it's definitely growing this kind of transparency and vulnerability around culture. But I do see it kind of on other platforms, like LinkedIn is the the high, um, not LinkedIn, Instagram is almost the, you know, epitome of just aspirational culture. You know, there's so much that goes on there and so many businesses who again over the past pre-covid probably put so much about their culture like oh we're doing a bowling day or we're doing this and it's all very like materialistic but I suppose what I really want to see more of is businesses going this is actually what it looks like in the day-to-day because we're not all just always on the ping pong table or going bowling together or having a fancy dress party sometimes this happens 
And as a culture, as a team, this is how we kind of went about it. You know, a bit more of like transparency about the real nitty gritty stuff that actually makes a culture rather than just the the material perks that you see so often. And I wonder whether companies have historically gone on that angle because it's they it's what they think candidates want to see <laughs> um rather than really investigate what candidates want to see yeah um and you know it's a bit like a list of benefits that you might have on your website or your job ads like we were talking about this internally it's like but how many times do you see the why behind a company's benefits like why yeah. does Luna offer headspace is it because well every other tech brand also offers headspace <laughs> so we better off he- offer headspace because like that's what everyone else does or is it and genuinely it is because we believe that if you're going to be the best version of yourself every element of your health including your mental health needs to be as good as it can be and mm-hmm. so we think headspace is a great way to support mental well-being yeah and um, and it's it, yeah to your point like how do you dig underneath because if you can dig a little bit more underneath then you can start to do your due diligence about okay is this do as I say but not as I do kind of scenario mm. or is this actually something that I can create some trust around and you know and it feels like it's an authentic relationship yeah yeah completely yeah, I think it's one of those things where we get a little bit too caught up in our social <laughs> social perceptions, isn't it? And, oh, what could we post next? And what events can we organise next to make our culture look great, even though we've got all of these other issues bubbling underneath? Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it, from like a COVID perspective? You know, a lot of companies, including ours, struggle in terms of like, we know social connection is really important to mm. us. Does anybody want to do another Zoom meeting? <laughs> no, no, we really don't. So how do we still create that connection that, like you say, is it, yeah, it showcases that we do do events because we believe in that from a mm. power of getting people together and that builds collaboration and that's really yeah. important for us. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, God, if you, if you turned up at a company believing that the only stuff that happened was on their social media feeds like you'd think it's a lifelong party right <laughs> it is not often just <laughs> it's so true it's so true that the amount I've seen and I'm thinking that looks like a great place to work maybe I'm in the wrong job <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I the place I used to work we had scooters in the office and um, I remember taking my daughter, she was much younger then, and she would love it because we'd ha- she, you know, I could film her scooting around the floor or she'd want to go into the chocolate cupboard because we had chocolate Tuesdays. And, you know, that, that showcases a very small part <laughs> of what goes down. You know, the chocolate trolley is like a 20-minute walk around on a Tuesday. Um, but like we had a chocolate trolley, like it was a really well received perk, you know, yeah. people love it, like chocolate Tuesdays. <laughs> but like like Instagram and all social media is, it's a tiny, tiny window mm. into what companies think you want to see. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So what do you think is the I suppose, yeah, what do you think is the the balance? What's the balance when it comes to talking about culture without turning it into a PR campaign? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would like to see more balance in the, more balance in why companies choose to do the things they do. So more explanation behind, so people can then be more informed, right? So it's about giving information and transparency and then people have a good understanding about, okay, cool. Like the benefits example, I understand now that this is a great package and, but more importantly, I know why. And that speaks to how they think about people, Mm. but also a little bit more, um, 
honesty around stuff that doesn't go so well. Yeah. Um, and like you can buy all these business books, right? I mean, if if building a company was as easy as reading five business books, like <laughs> it will be really successful and actually probably not as busy. <laughs> there's the playbook for building a business book. <laughs> books, and you've got it. But but it isn't. It's messy. Um, and being able to be honest without again being commercially damaging right because the point of business is to grow it not mm. to put it out because yeah. you've been a little bit too loose with information um but that like messy middle like you say mm. which just is a bit of insight and whether that's through the interview process or blog posts from the ceo or the leadership team or standing up at company all hands and going, yeah, that didn't go well. And this is why we think it didn't go well. Um, I would just, like, I think ultimately it comes down to getting comfortable with being vulnerable. Mm. And I think that's really hard because we've all been conditioned to strive to be the best. And it's like, if you're in the school system, the kudos goes to the top grades, right? The perfection, the like, yeah. do as best you can and just hide everything that doesn't go so well. Like no one wants to hear about the stuff that doesn't go well. Um, but actually the stuff that doesn't go well is where you really learn. Yeah. You know? and that's where the growth is. So I would just love to see a little bit more balance between what companies put out there. And I think that would build trust. I would mm-hmm. do that trust goes. Yeah, we know deep down that nobody's going to get it 100% right. And they're kind of owning it. And if they own it in a, in a way that feels lighthearted, bit of humour, yeah, you know, I think humour goes a long way as well. Yeah, it does. I love that. That's going to be my, my takeaway from this chat, the messy middle. We need more of the messy middle. <laughs> messy middle. Get comfortable with the messy middle. I love that so much. Well, thank you, Kelly, so much for joining me on today's podcast. And I will put all of Kelly's details um, in the show notes as well. So if you want to check out some of the recent blogs she's written um, or connect with her, then I will put those in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure, Lizzie. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.